everyone. Welcome to Backstory Sessions. I'm your host, Matt. We hope you enjoy this episode. Today, we are so excited to have with us a legendary singer and songwriter, Miss Jeannie Seeley. Jeannie, welcome. We are so honored to have you as a guest on Backstory Sessions. Well, I'm equally happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. You have been recording for six decades. I mean... That is an amazing career. Uh, does it does it seem like it's been that long? No, you know it really doesn't. It, yeah, I think I was talking to somebody the other day. I said, kind of like looking back on my career is kind of like when you're raising children. You you're struggling day to day, and then one day you look back and say, "Where did all the years go? They're grown, they're gone." You know what happened, and that's the way it's been with this career. Even though there's been struggling times, I, I just can't believe. I remember two years ago um, watching Kitty Wells and thinking how wonderful that would be to have a career to last most of your life and I never dreamed that I would be able to to have that so uh, I don't take it for granted one minute well I I mean it's simply amazing and it must be something that you love um, to spend you know that much of your life dedicated to it so uh, when when did you develop a love for music and performing and songwriting how did it all happen that was just uh, from as far back as I can remember in my childhood you know we listened to the Grand Old Opry and uh, I absolutely loved what I heard I loved the comedy of Miss Benny and all of them and Jimmy Dickens plus the music so yeah I knew in third grade I did a little uh, show in school and I was eight years old. And when I saw the kids laughing and at the antics we were doing and heard them applaud, I thought, this is just the best feeling in the world. And I, this is what I want to do. Well, so you've had hits by yourself and you've had hits with others and you've written songs for others. So, uh, what is special and unique about each of those? Uh, so, like singing and having a hit by yourself, what's the greatest part of that? Well, two things, of course, that to do something by yourself, whether it's a recording a hit or writing a song just by yourself, proves what you can do. It proves your capabilities. But I, I'm a firm believer that um, every anything, everything is better when it's shared. And so uh, to share with that fun, that pride and everything is, has always been a great thing. I know I was so proud of the duets that Jack and I had. Yeah. And 
to put the show together. And as we traveled with the five-piece band, all seven of us hitting that stage, stage at one time, and uh, it was just it just made it more fun. Are, are there certain people um, that you just click with or you have just an instant, like, you know that it's going to work with, with you doing a duet? Well, I haven't done all that many to say that. Um, I'm actually uh, going to be recording in the next couple of weeks with Tim Atwood, who I don't have you talked to Tim yet? I um, haven't. Uh, no. Yeah, he's very interesting. Um, Tim was the uh, staff keyboard player at the Opry for 38 years, and also would off and on sing on the Opry. Mr. Acuff used to feature him quite often. Great singer, and I, all we were had been friends for 40 something years and I always used to think man what is Tim doing back here behind all the rest of us because he's just a great entertainer so anyway he he did the good things he stayed in town worked sessions worked he was a staff keyboard on Ralph Emery's early morning tv shows he stayed in and raised his boys and then now he's able to go out and do what he wants. So he's got the freedom to do whatever. I've always re respected Tim for that. But he and I started doing some uh, like little small concert things and also opening act on some of the bigger shows. Just Tim and me and the baby grand piano. People, about the time Tim went out on his own, people were uh, asking me about doing acoustic shows, but I never felt comfortable with just a guitar, but I do with the piano. And uh, so Tim and I do a lot of stuff there. So anyway, just being friends and having fun is what that's all about. But we're going to go in. We've had so many requests to record some things we do on our shows. So that's a special thing. Of course, the duet with Willie Nelson. Um, I've, recorded, I've done, this is the third thing I've done with Willie. He's, uh, we've been friends since 63, 64, somewhere in there. And uh, just, I treasure that friendship. And anytime I can share doing anything with Willie, I love. Well, I understand that uh, maybe this week you were riding a little bit with Bill Anderson and Bobby Tomberlin. So, uh, you know, that's two other great guys. So uh, how did that come to be? How did the three of you, or have you written together before? Well, um, Bobby Tomberlin and I and Aaron Enderlin uh, wrote a song that, called Like I Could, that Rhonda Vincent took all the way to number one yes. in the field. Um, I had never, in all the years I've been writing, I had never set a writer appointment like all the writers are doing now. And I was intimidated to even think about it. I thought, how do you know that 
two months from now at two o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> your brain is going to think of anything creative. <laughs> and so I just was always afraid if I'd get there, I, you know, my brain wouldn't think of anything. And Bobby and Aaron kept encouraging me saying, you know, try set an appointment with us. You can't, can't be intimidated around us. We don't care if we don't come up with anything that day. We laugh, tell stories, and enjoy each other's company for a while. So when I had the idea for Like I Could, I called them both. And when they both said they liked the idea, I said, well, can we set that writer appointment? Then if my <laughs> friend just dumps on me, at least I'll know I brought the idea to the table so that's how that came about uh first and then all the years that bill and i have been such close friends we've never written together we've sung each other songs we've written for or with somebody and uh, then i had an idea and i called him and asked him what he thought about the song idea and he's that he really liked it. And I said, well, can we finally try to write it? Do you want to try? He said, I sure do. So then a couple of days later, he called me and said, I've got a writer appointment set with Bobby Tumberland this Wednesday. He said, how do you feel about bringing Bobby in on this idea? I'm like, yeah, anytime. <laughs> anytime with Bobby Tumberland is a great right. time. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's how that came about. And as we finished that session, um, I told him about another idea I had. And Bill just looked at me and he said, that is an awesome idea. I may like it even better than the one we just wrote. <laughs> do you want us to work on that again? Uh, do this again? I'm like, yeah. So anyway, we set another writer appointment for a week <laughs> later. Wrote the other one this past Wednesday. Of course, I joke with him. I said, the only reason you guys are writing with me is because the first time I made Navy Bean and Ham Soup... <laughs> And the second <laughs> was uh, homemade chili with Fritos, which was Bobby's request. So, <laughs> but whatever works, right? <laughs> That's right. So uh, I see how these creative schedulings go for them. Yeah. They're they're getting a pretty good deal there to write with you and some good food too. That's what Bill Anderson said. Anytime you've got homemade lunch and a good song idea, call me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I live in a little cottage on the bank of the river here. I'm on a hundred foot of river frontage. So that's kind of inspiring too. And, um, my husband's not in the best of health and I don't like to be away from him very long. So I like when people will come here to write, then I don't have to have part of my mind thinking if Gene's okay. He's sure. doing great, but I just want to be around to make sure he is. He's a treasure. Right. Well, you um, you grew up in Pennsylvania. Is, is that um, quite a bit different than where you live now? Actually, you know what? I grew up in northwestern Pennsylvania. I was born and raised there. I 
outside, our little farm was outside of a town of about 400 people, maybe. And, um, and I always tell him, yes, I did walk a mile to school. (laughs) 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 And, um, our little farm also bordered the state game reserve land. So there was miles of wilderness beyond, uh, our little farm. So it was really, really country. And, um, so I find that it doesn't matter. Uh, if you grow up in the country, it doesn't matter what part of the country you grow up in. As I've traveled all over, it's a country lifestyle, and it can be in the north, the south, the Midwest, or the west. It's all the same. So um, were you involved in uh, music in school? Were you in choir or band or any um, theater, musical theater, anything like that? Oh, yeah. I was, well, I was a majorette. I was a cheerleader. I was uh, in uh, all of the plays, everything that we did. I, I never was in band. I'm not a musician. I can okay. play very little guitar and, and very little piano. I just play chords. That's how I usually rehearse or write at the piano. And then I call on real musicians to fill in all the chords that <laughs> I don't know how to play that I can hear in my mind. So, um, but yeah, I w- school was... Uh, early show business for me it didn't matter what it was and back then you know even for our prom all our school dances or even our proms we came up with the theme and we all decorated ourselves which kids wouldn't think of doing that now but that was all part of the fun to me and another thing i remember of course small town and country and a long time ago but Every fall uh, before school started, there was a, it was a volunteer thing, but they had a big deal for, uh, you know, let's clean up the schoolyard and the school grounds. And I remember us being out there doing whatever, you know, raking leaves or <laughs> just everything and had such a good time. we They'd always have hot dogs or something for us. And also in the spring, we did the same thing. I can remember, you know, just uh, no big deal. Of course, like I say, it was a small area. But those were all things that, that again, I think are just so much more fun when they're shared. Sure. Except for the winters. They're not very much fun. They were pretty tough. Those uh, lake effects, ice effects, I mean, from the lakes. Oh, (laughs) that was terrible up there. And it could change your whole world in about 30 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You sound like you're speaking from experience. Are you from up in there? Um, I I grew up in New York. Uh, Yeah. You know, probably you know north of the city and then i lived in the central part of new york for you know, five or six years 
and moved down here to Kentucky and uh, thought it would be warmer. Um, you know, so far, <laughs> so far it's hit and miss. <laughs> yeah, right. So I had I had one question for you. Um, I was reading in your, uh, I think it was on LinkedIn, or I'm sorry, on uh, Wikipedia or something. It says that in 1961, you left left Pennsylvania to go to Southern California in an MG Roadster convertible with three of your friends. How is that even possible? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exactly what happened. Um, My first car was uh, in 1968. I bought a 1958 MGA Roadster, bright red. Mm. Wow. And uh, it was the funny thing. I was working for the bank there, and the car actually belonged to one of the – he was a director at the bank, and he owned a Chevrolet dealership there. Mm Mm-hmm. He had this uh, MG, and the only time he would drive it into the bank and all at different times, but he mostly rented in rallies. You remember those? I haven't right. heard of those in a long time. But anyway, I wanted that car so bad, and I, my dad told me, you know, he would, he would sign a note for me, co-sign for a thousand dollars, which back then was a lot of money. Right. And he said, so you have to save up the down payment. That's all I'm going to sign for. So I had saved $800. Wow. And so I went to this bank that, you know, I can't remember his name right now to save me. And I told him I wanted to buy it. He said, well, it's really not for sale. And I said, it has to be. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to have a car, and that's the only car I want. And um, so anyway, finally I said, do you know how bad it looks for you to be trying to sell Chevrolets when you're driving? And (laughs) (laughs) So finally in the end, I went and he said, I said, well, I can only pay $1,800 for it. He just looked at me and he said, I can't sell it for that. And I'm like, well, it's all I can do. I told him what my dad had said. So I said, I have $800 and he will sign for a thousand. So that's all I can pay. <laughs> he ended up said, well, you, <laughs> you talked me into it. And I said, you can get another one. I remember telling him that you can get <laughs> So anyway, um, that's how I bought it. And then um, a friend of mine, or became a friend of mine, Marcia Davis, came back home. She had been living in West Virginia. And she came back home driving a 1960 Austin Healey, just blowing smoke around me. <laughs> but, uh, as I always say, I could either hate her forever or we could become friends. And we chose that option, which is always the best option to choose. Yeah. And um, so we got to be really good friends and then decided to moved to California actually to get out of the Northeast winters. Mm. And so uh, my cousin Kathy and one of her girlfriends 
was going to go, and then the girlfriend backed out at the last minute. So Kathy's brother said, I'll go with you. So there's two in each car. Uh, and he okay. said, and once I get you all to California, I'm going on to Reno, where my oldest brother was. Mm-hmm. So that's how we did it all the way out <laughs> Route 66. <laughs> wow. No cell phones, nothing. Yeah. And uh, were were your parents worried at all or oh, my goodness, yes. My mother <laughs> walked the floor and cried and I couldn't figure out why. She I just thought, You don't want me to do what I wanna do, you know, I just you know, at twenty one you just don't think. Right. right. Look back now and of course she had every reason in the world, but that's how I know God's had a whole flock of angels following me around for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so when you got to California, did you like it there? What was it like being 21 oh. in a new state and coast? And Oh, I loved it. I loved every minute. Um, we went to Santa Monica Beach and... Uh, rented an apartment in this building that was 17 blocks from the beach and it was all single people and uh oh all single career people and it was just the time of my life we went between none of us had any money you know but it didn't matter i mean we went to the beach every weekend and we we drove up in the mountains and uh, took a picnic basket up there to Griffith Park. And, and back then, you could go to Griffith Park. Mm. Such a different time out there then than it is out there now. Yeah. So were you still singing? Or yeah. While you were I, out there? Yeah. When I got out there, up until then, I'd always been told, you know, this is a great hobby, but you can't make a living doing this. And, of course, there I couldn't. But in California, I started, uh, there were a lot of clubs around. And back then, they were the coffee houses, the folk music places. And um, I started going to all of those. And I started meeting people who were singing and writing songs and making records. And uh, so I started giving it some serious thought i was you i got a job at union bank in beverly hills when i first went there but then about a year later i saw an ad um, at liberty records and applied for that because i wanted to make a record and i didn't have a clue how you did that so i thought well go to work on a record company and <laughs> maybe you'll learn <laughs> Wow. So that's what I did. And did that turn out, did you get a lot of knowledge from working there? Is it what you thought it would be? Oh, yes. It it was. It was a great education and one of the smartest moves I ever made doing that because I learned what the job was. They called it a floating secretary. And that position meant they put you in whatever department was needing extra help. 
so you rotate it around. Couldn't have been better for me. Right. That way I got to learn everything from the contracts to the publishing to everything. And, uh, uh, of course, you got all the dirty jobs. <laughs> but that was okay, too. You learn from those as well, you know. I said I had to stand there and file stuff in those old filing cabinets. But I read a lot of it, too, so that's where I learned a lot of about the contracts and all. Also, I volunteered to um, assist in the studios at night, the recording studios, because that way I could learn that. So I did everything from make coffee to running, get food to taking the lyrics down off of a tape and typing them up and anything they needed. But I learned so much in the studios, too. So was your mindset pretty made up at that point that this was what you were going to do? Yeah, Yeah, once I got a taste of doing that and then I... I started singing, you know, I'd get up and sing at the different places and started getting known. And when I'd go in any of the places, they'd get me up to sing and started getting some attention that way. And then uh, started, I met this girl, Gail Talley, who had moved out to L.A. from Nashville. And she and I started writing some stuff and she knew Joe Johnson at Challenge Records and Forced Our Music. And so she took me there, met Joe, and that's who published the, some of my stuff then. Of course, before that, before I recorded, uh, when I was working at Liberty, I was writing. And that's when I wrote Anyone Who Knows What Love Is. And um, that was the first song I ever had published and ever had recorded. And uh, Irma Thomas, R&B legend from New Orleans, recorded it. Mm. And it hit in the R&B field and what they called the top 40 back then. And then since then, it's been in several, um, the writers of several movies. And in some of the movies, background, and in five episodes of Black Mirror, the uh, series out of TV series out of England. Wow, that's cool. So, what is that like to have your first published song, like to hear it the first time um, on the radio, and then oh, in movies? What's what's that like? It was it was pretty amazing uh, to hear that back then, and. And uh, but it's what gave me the confidence then to go on. It's like, you know, you just you just have to. It's like anything else, you know. If if you're gonna do anything, you just have to do it and keep doing it over and over till it works. And and uh, so that's that was my mindset. I can do this, but I just got to keep doing it. Keep trying to learn, keep trying to get better. And and networking. I can't stress 
when I'm talking to young people coming in, I stress all the time, network every chance you get. Meet all the people you can meet because you never know. First of all, someone told me years ago, said, tell people what you want to do. You'd be surprised how many people want to help you once they know what you want. Mm. And I think that is true. Good advice for sure. Well, so how did you keep on going? What happens next? Do you stay in California? Well, in California then, I was, uh, I finally got a spot on a TV show out there, and that's where I met Hank Cochran. I knew who he was because I, I was just knocked out with his writing when I heard I fall to pieces because in my personal life, I was going through a little situation like that. And when I heard that song, I'm like, who knows how I'm feeling to write a song like that? And uh, so... I always said, you know, if I ever get a chance to record, I want I want him to write a song for me, never having any idea that's exactly what would happen. Mm. But I met him when he came out to California to do the TV show that I was on, too. And then uh, he encouraged me to move to Nashville. And then, of course, I knew... I became a fan of Dottie West when she was on the old landmark jamboree out of Ohio when I was still in Pennsylvania. And so she was coming out and appearing at uh, uh, the old uh, Palomino Club Mm. in North Hollywood. And so I, of course, went to see her. And after the show, I... I waited till everybody else was through the line because I wanted more time with her. <laughs> so once everybody was gone through pretty much and I went up and I just introduced myself and I said, I've been following your career since the Landmark Jamboree. And she just looked back. She said, the Landmark Jamboree. <laughs> I don't even remember the last time I've been remembering that. And so we just clicked right away. In fact, after that, we actually went back to my house. And um, and so we were all just, you know, singing songs and carrying on. And Dottie just said, you you got to be, you got to move back to Nashville. And, of course, my famous line was, I don't know enough to move to Nashville yet. And her famous line was, Nashville's where you learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you took her advice? Yes. And she said, I'll help you any way I can. I'll introduce you to people. And so that's what, what we did. And also, I was writing for Four Star Music as I mentioned earlier with Joe Johnson, and they also had an office here in Nashville in the RCA building. Bob Jennings ran their Nashville office, and the girl that was working for Bob was leaving. So they told me, said, I know you want to move to Nashville, and there's a position open if you'd like to have it. Wow. You can't. So having that... um, 
knowing I had a job when I got here helped make that move. Well, and this year, uh, I guess, marks 55 years that you've been a member of the Grand Ole Opry. Um, that's quite uh, a title. Um, what was it like the first time that you were on the Opry? Well, that first appearance, I think, is pretty much the same for everything. I mean, um, that Grand Ole Opry name and stage is pretty um, intimidating. And, and I, of course, that was at the Ryman. And I I look back now at how funny, because I'm so used to the big stage at the Opry House. You know? And mm. I go back to the Ryman and I... I thought it was so big back then. Right. Part of the bigness to you is the enormity of this is the greatest country music show there is, you know. That's part of the enormity of it. But it was such a whirlwind as it is for any artist, that first hit record. There's just so much thrown at you all at once. And so it was, uh, it was an absolute thrill. I said, you go through every emotion you've ever known from fear to enthusiasm to everything, but it's just truly one of the greatest moments of your life. And the Opry's means so much to me. Um, I never get tired of being there and uh, I'm still thrilled every time I walk out on that stage and look out over that audience. How many how many times have you been have you uh performed there? I'm just curious. We don't know. Um we a couple of years ago one of the girls looked went to the computer to look up and at that time it was 2600 and something. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but then she said, "But you were a member for 30 years before we had computers." Huh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't really know. There are a couple of guys who have, as a hobby, have kept logs. So we're kind of getting getting with them to see just how close we could come for an idea. Wow. Uh, so just fun to know. But I always tell people when they ask me how many, I always say not enough. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Well, I was curious, um, I know you mentioned Dottie West and how close you were, and then I understand that um, on your uh, latest project, um, the American Classic uh, album, that um, there's a song on there that has a connection to her. Yeah, Dottie, uh, my friend Ron Harmon had some a memorabilia of Dottie's and in this journal where she had started writing this song and it just hit Ron so much. He took it to Bobby Tomberlin and Steve Warner and they finished the song and they both said, this is Jeannie's got to sing this. It just sounds like Jeannie and Dottie both. So I was, so glad uh i don't i can't even imagine how i would have felt if if they'd have given that song to somebody else and sure get a lot of requests for it it did pretty well for us as a single 
I mean, to be in the national charts as high as 71 in today's world and at my age is phenomenal. And is that, if you could call it that, is that yeah. there? Mm-hmm. That was it. Did you feel like a, like a connection with your friendship all those years and just, do you feel like it would have made her proud? Oh, I do. I truly think that the boys finished that song about like she would have. To sing it, uh, there were a couple of lines uh, that I could hear her singing it so strong that I just went ahead and channeled her there. And the one, even the line that said... Uh, Another glass of wine, a few more jokes. I tried to laugh, and I knew she would have done that little chuckle she did. I knew she would have done it, and so I did it. Aw. And I I always, you know, everybody talks about the circle on the Opry stage, and, of course, it is a revered place. I personally walk the stage. I work the entire width of the stage. And, uh, but I always make sure that I end up in that circle on most of the performances and certainly on that one. Well, and another song on your American classic album, uh, Not a Dry Eye in the House, uh, that is like, how do you get through that song with, without um, crying? <laughs> it was a great song. Uh, of course, Dallas Wayne, who wrote it, had recorded it several years ago, and I'd heard Dallas's record, and the song knocked me out, as did his record so much that I had to learn the song and then not listen to Dallas's record at all so that I could, because I didn't want to copy him. Right. I wanted to make it my own. And, um, and then when... We were inviting all these different um, artists to join us on it. And one evening, I just was finishing up the dishes after dinner. I looked at my husband and I said, I can't believe this. I'm on Willie's Roadhouse. I never even extended an invitation to Willie Mm. to be on this (laughs) album with me. What is wrong with me? So I went to the phone and called Buddy Cannon, who produces Willie. And he said, oh, there's no question in my mind. Willie will want to do it. It's just a matter of how and when, you know, and where. So anyway, he said, what you need to do is go ahead and send me the track you want him to sing on. I'll send it to, he has an engineer with him all the time. And he said, so when he has time, he will record it. It might be, you know. Somewhere on the road, it might be in Hawaii at his place, or it might be at the ranch in Texas, who knows, but he will do it. So, uh, yeah, and I, and I, I chose that um, for one reason. I knew that uh, Dallas had told me that Willie liked that song way back when we were talking about it. I said, I want to record that. And the... Uh, so anyway, um, I decided on that one. And uh, when Willie sent it back, he's, it just blew me away. 
And so a Senate, I called Dallas to hear it. You're always concerned about what the writer will think about your interpretation of their work. Yeah. And uh, uh, Dallas listened to it and he said, I love what y'all have done. He said, it just sounds like an intimate conversation between two old friends. And, uh, I thought, Very yeah, it does. Yeah. I guess that's what we are, two old friends now. Well, 60 years, some people would say, okay, you've had that great career. Um, You know, now it's time to, like, um, do something else. But it doesn't seem like that's what you're planning because you have a lot of things going on. Uh, You've got your Willie's Roadhouse and... You've got um, this American classic album, as you mentioned before, with, um, you know, your bluegrass song, Like I Could, for Rhonda Vincent, is number one. That was the number one song. So, you know, what is next for you? Well, before we get to what is next, I'm excited right now because I have a song that's nominated for Song of the Year and the Arkansas Country Music. And what is that? Which song? It's it's a song called Yours. Diane Berry used to play guitar and sing harmony with me in my band back in the 80s. And um, I had taken the group into the studio to cut demos on some new songs I had written. And I said, Diane, I think this needs a sweeter voice than mine (laughs) to do this song. Would you want to demo it for me? So she said, sure. So after we finished, she said, would you hold this for me for a while? Let me see if I can use it to get a record deal. And I said, sure. So I was holding it for her. And then, as they say, life happened and everybody, everything moved on different directions and I simply forgot about it. I had done it on a couple of TV, old TV shows. And um, my bass player saw an old rerun. He said, why aren't we doing this song? So I had made note to maybe start doing it again. And Diane called me one day and she said, if you got a minute, I want you to hear something. <laughs> she played this and she and... Joe Wade Smith did the song as a duet, and I'd never even thought about it being a duet, but it's great. And um, that's somebody else you'd enjoy talking to her. She's had a um, a very interesting career. She used to work out in Opryland Park. Mr. Acuff used to bring her into the Opry, and she played in my band. She played in Johnny Russell's and Charlie Lubin, very talented lady. Mm. So anyway, she and Joe Wade, this record is doing really well for them. And uh, she just sent me a text yesterday saying it's being played in Australia and New Zealand. So anyway, she's from Arkansas. That's the connection for me in Arkansas. So it's nominated for Song of the Year. So y'all go pull up there. They're voting <laughs> us out right now. Pull, pull up that link. And- <laughs> yes, and we'll definitely post that as well and get everybody yeah. voting for that. Yeah. 
Amazing. Well, I mean, uh, how how do you feel about that? I mean, if you were to win Song of the Year, that would oh, be. It would be wonderful for me, but also what would there again, what would delight me so much is the artist who records it gets an award, too. So uh, Diane and Joe would receive an award, and that would just mean as much to me or not more than getting one for the song. I just think so highly of them. Oh, well, uh, you know, we're going to be voting for sure. And as far as the future's concerned, I, I love what I do. Uh, I'm so fortunate that it, it's, just a way of life. I can't even say that this is my job or my career. It's just a way of life to me. It's what I love, so it's my hobby. It's everything. And uh, why, when you love doing something, why quit doing it? Exactly. Yeah. Jeannie, uh, I know you got to get going, and I, I, we don't want to keep you longer than, uh, you know, then well we'd love to talk to you forever but you know yeah. <laughs> you got other things well, we to do. can always do it again gang i thank you so yes hiding me and i i do have a an appointment for a rehearsal so i've got to get stuff together and set up for that well we and thank uh, we thank you so much for your time and uh you know you're welcome back anytime we'll try and set something well, up Okay, as soon as some of these songs that Bobby and Bill and I are writing, and also I got a writing appointment coming up with Buddy Cannon, thrilled about that. So as soon as some of these get recorded and going, we'll talk again, okay? All right. All right, Miss Country Soul. Stay safe and keep supporting all of us in country music. We appreciate you so much. Thank you very much. And it was great talking to you. Uh, we'll do it I'm again. See us. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As always, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can send those to cat at iwriteplays at outlook.com or you can write to me at backstorysessions at gmail.com or matt at level11ventures.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Oh,